Welcome to the Everyday Discernment Podcast, a member of the Charisma Podcast Network and the Edify Podcast Network. This is episode 51 and the very last episode of season one. I hope that you have enjoyed season one and I would love to hear from you which was your favorite episode of season one. I've had some amazing guests on like John Eldridge, Jonathan Rumi, who played Jesus in The Chosen, Matt Brown, Sean Bowles, and the list goes on and on. I will be taking a few weeks off, but it's a great time to go catch up on any missed episodes that you did not listen to in season one. Be sure to leave me a review if you haven't already and tell a friend about this podcast. Word of mouth is the best advertising. I will be back in a few weeks for season two, and let me tell you, it is a power-packed season two with some amazing guests that I already have lined up. I will also have a specific focus of season two. We'll still talk about discernment and the things we do now, but there will be a specific question for all of my guests about a specific theme that will be season two. So stay tuned for what that will be. And for today's episode, I'm talking to Eric Johnson. He is a great resource for all things having to do with Mormonism, and we're going to have a great conversation starting right now. Welcome to the Everyday Discernment Podcast. This show is about you and your walk with Jesus as we grow in discernment together so that we can make better daily decisions that honor God in all we do. We will align all things against the Bible and give you practical steps to run your Christian race to win. And now your host, the discerning dad, Tim Ferrara. Well, welcome to the Everyday Discernment Podcast. My guest today is Eric Johnson. Eric has been a student of Mormonism since 1987. Eric graduated from San Diego State University with a BA in journalism, as well as Bethel Seminary, San Diego with a Master's of Divinity. Eric co-hosts the daily radio program Viewpoint on Mormonism and writes for Mormon Research Ministry. He is the author of many books on Mormonism. Eric is married to Terry. Together, they have three daughters and live in the Salt Lake City area. Eric, welcome to the show. How are you today? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on, Tim. Yeah, absolutely. I heard you on Sean McDowell's podcast, and uh, Sean has become a friend of mine, and I really enjoyed what you had to say. You know, I'm I'm in Arizona, and I grew up with a lot of uh, Mormons around me and friends of mine that were Mormons, and you really had a lot of interesting things to say that I've never heard before. And so uh, being that my show is about the sermon, I thought it was a great topic to have on here. You know, I try to have a wide range of topics, discernment with not just our personal walk with Christ, but also how we discern, you know, uh, what we believe, why we believe it and how to uh, speak it and preach it to others. And so, uh, yeah, thanks for coming on. Let everyone know just a little bit more about yourself, kind of personal facts and how you came to Christ and how you got started in uh, researching Mormonism. Yeah, well, I uh, I'm married. I have uh, three girls. Last one's getting married next month. So awesome. my wife Terry and I are going to be empty nesters for All for right. good. Uh, I became a Christian in 1972, listening to uh, Billy Graham uh, on right. TV. I was 10 years old at the time, and uh, when people started to come through up to the uh, altar uh, on the altar call, I asked my parents what they were doing, <laughs> and they basically said giving their giving their lives to Christ. I had not heard that term before, so I gave my life at that time, and so I have wow. been working uh, with uh, counter cult ministries for over 30 years, I think. Uh, but I've been working with. Uh, Bill McKeever and Mormonism Research Ministry since 1989. Uh, we're based out of uh, near Salt Lake City, so we're right at the heart of where Mormonism originates. And uh, 
Besides doing that, I also tent make by taking people to the Holy Lands, including oh, wow. Israel, Jordan, Turkey, Greece, and Italy. So I, I've taken over 400 people. I usually take a couple of trips a year. That is uh, a, a lot of fun as well. Those are the things that I, I do. Um, as far as getting into the ministry, real quick, I, um, in, in 1978, maybe you remember a guy named Jim Jones. Jim yeah. Jones and a thousand people committed suicide. That threw me for a loop. I was a junior in high school. I started to do a lot of research when the uh, Mormons, Jehovah's Witnesses, and others would knock on the door. I'd invite them in. I wanted to find out everything they had. Uh, at college, I'd talk to the Hare Krishnas and uh, just try to better understand. And that's kind of how I got started. Uh, I hooked in with a friend who had a ministry called Making Disciples Ministry. And then I went to Utah in 1987 on a summer trip and just doing a lot of evangelism, and I fell in love with the Mormon people. So that's kind of how that happened. In 1989, I, I uh, ended up getting uh, connected with Bill McKeever and been working with him ever since. I, I taught for many years in Southern California. I, I was a high school Bible department head at Christian High School in El Cajon, California, the same campus where David Jeremiah is the pastor, and also taught at the college level, taught, taught English classes. And that's what I did for 17 years before I uh, ended up moving to Utah in uh in 2010 wow very cool and uh tell us about mrm you know kind of what resources are available on there and kind of what you do with it yeah uh i I do a lot of research a lot of work on the website we have a website mrm.org a great website to find a lot of resources on what mormonism is all about how to do evangelism and things like that uh, we, we have, as you mentioned, a, a daily uh, radio show that airs in uh, five, on five different stations, and we also have that as a podcast, and uh, write, a, write a lot of books, uh, uh, different <laughs> things over the years to help people uh, not only understand what Mormonism is, but how to be able to talk to Mormon people. They're great people. We just want to yeah. be able to share the truth and to get beyond the language barrier, which oftentimes is a distraction for many who... If you don't know much about it, it sure sounds like uh, Latter-day Saints are Christians just like we are. But when yeah. you start to dig in deeper, then it becomes obvious that we do have differences. And I think we need to recognize those differences. And so we do what the Bible says, uh, share the truth in love and uh, to have an answer for everyone who asks us to give the yeah. reason for the hope we have. That's so good. And that's that's something that Mormons are very well equipped. And, and when they come to your door, if you don't know what you're talking about, they can talk circles around you and they can you know, I'm sure they get a lot of uh, a lot of people converted to Mormonism because of how much they know. And that's why it's important as Christians that we know what we believe and have an answer for the hope that lies within us. And so, you know, it, it is enough just to, to love Jesus and accept him for salvation. But if you want to grow in your walk, if you want to grow in your faith, you know, to be able to research some of the deeper things and to know what is the difference, why you know, and, and that's exactly what we're going to talk about. And I think that's important instead of, you know, hiding behind the, the blinds when they come to your door, you know, maybe invite them in, maybe have that boldness to say, I know what I believe. And I would love to have a, a conversation with them. Doesn't mean either one of us is going to change our mindset, but at least we can show love, love and truth, you know, love them for who they are as people that God loves. And uh, a lot of times we just say, well, us versus them. Well, no, I mean, we're, we want to try to point them in the direction that they are so close but yet they are so far, you know, they, they, as for as much as they believe that sounds like Christianity, it's also so much that is a twisting on it. And that's what Satan loves to do is to twist the word of God. And so uh, we have to know the truth of God. And that way we can be able to easily identify the counterfeits that come our way. So, 
I think you're exactly right. And unless you're a universalist or an inclusivist, somebody who says that all paths lead to God or you can find truth in these religions that will get you to God, unless you believe that, I think Christianity is pretty much an exclusivist religion. Yeah. Uh, and if you're going to say that you have truth and you're not willing to share that with other people, it would be like a doctor who knew that you had cancer, but he didn't want to offend you. He didn't want to rock the boat. So he would just not tell you. You go back a year later and you're dying of cancer and you ask your doctor, you knew this a year ago? He goes, yeah, but I didn't want to, I didn't want to upset you too much. Well, this is not just a uh, here and now issue. This is an issue that will go into eternity. We want to be able to uh, kindly but firmly be able to share the truth. Because if we have this, we want to share it with other people. Yeah. And Christianity is exclusive, like you said, as far as the narrow road, but it's inclusive as far as who's invited. Everyone's invited as long as you walk the narrow road. And that's what we have to get people on is the narrow road. So, so I I definitely want to talk a lot about uh, your knowledge on Mormonism, but I do want to ask you the question that I ask all my guests is kind of a story when you had godly discernment uh, and what you learned from it. Maybe it was great discernment, maybe it was poor discernment and kind of what you learned from it. So maybe just a time in your life when you had a decision to make and how you knew it was God leading you in a direction or not, and then kind of what the you know takeaways are from it. Well, that's a great question, Tim. And I, I think back to uh, 2004 when my friend Bill moved to Utah and uh, he had lived across the street from me in El Cajon and I was teaching and he wanted me to come, but I didn't feel it was the right time. I had three small girls. They all got to go to the Christian school where I taught. Every year, Bill would come back and beg me, please, we've got so much we can do there. And I just had a hard time with this uh, every year, 2005, 2006. I actually applied for a, a, a school here, the only real big Christian school in, uh, in Utah, and uh, didn't get the job, which was interesting because mm-hmm. I thought I had the experience and everything else. And that was just God's providence because I, I needed to be there longer, especially for my family. Uh, 2008, 2009, I uh, I was having some problems with the administration. Uh, there were some things that were going on I didn't think were godly. Uh, so it was it was really difficult because my one daughter was only a sophomore, the other was in 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 eighth grade, the other was in fifth grade. But I I made the decision that I was going to move to Utah, um, and uh, it was it was one of those things that I think were confirmed with circumstances. Circumstances don't necessarily direct everything, but they do help us to be able to be pushed in a certain direction. And I was asking for God's wisdom every year, trying to determine if I should come to Utah to help Bill in in this ministry that we're doing. Uh, So I ended up moving uh, in 2010 in the summer. Uh, There there were some hard parts to it. This is a different culture uh, in Utah. And everybody says that. And it is. It's true. Mm -hmm. When, you know, about 60 percent of your neighbors are LDS. And it's hard to break in and have relationships like it would be where I was from in Southern California. It was a lot easier because you had people from all kinds of variety of of backgrounds and and it was easier. But anyway, we we did that and we did go through some different difficult times. Uh, But we ended up making it and knowing that the things that I'm doing today, I would not be able to do if I had not made that big step. So that discernment, I think, uh, saying, okay, we had to count the cost. We knew there would be a cost. I had to take a big pay cut, even though I was just working at a Christian school. But I had other Mm -hmm. things that I was doing to be able to do uh, to be able to make the bills. And for a few years, it was kind of difficult. But I learned through different circumstances how to make money on other kinds of things and not just depend completely on the ministry. That's great. And that's a good example of discernment. It's not just a 
it, it can be a decision in the moment, but a lot of times it's a decision over the course of sometimes many years where God's leading you in a direction. He wants to maybe show you, maybe give you, get you ready for it. Maybe he gives you a vision for something that's five, 10 years down the road, but at the same time, God sometimes closes doors as well as open doors. And so when you see a bunch of closed doors, you kind of have to go before God and say, what am I doing wrong? Where can I seek you? How can I seek you better? What are you showing me, God? Instead of just saying, God's against me, you know, everything's falling apart. Well, maybe God's pushing you in a direction and God is gentle and loving and wants you to see it for yourself. But at the same time, we have to go before God with the sermon and say, okay, God, let me see the bigger picture. Give me a glimpse of what you have for me in my future, where all I see is maybe hurt in the moment or struggle or pain. God always can redeem that for something greater. And so uh, whether it's your story or someone else's story, it's it, there's so many examples of this in in, in that I've heard just from doing this podcast of, uh, and in my own life, you know, God has pushed me in directions that have taken years to come to fruition and are still, still in the works. You know, we're never, we never arrive, right. We never arrive in our faith. We always need to grow. And if you feel like you've made it, that's when you need to go back and check yourself because we never understand God fully. And so that should keep us pursuing him with the hunger to keep learning more about him. Yeah, there's a book that really helped me in this as well. Uh, when I was going to college, I didn't know what I wanted to do. I actually did graduate with a degree in journalism, advertising, and I was kind of headed in that direction. But then I, I just didn't feel that, that I want to do that for the rest of my life. What, what What's the purpose of why I'm here? And that's when I started to go to seminary just to, just to learn uh, from basic classes. And then I ended up uh, getting my master's of divinity. But there's a book by Gary Friesen, you might be familiar with, uh, Decision Making and the Will of God. I read that. I had it given to me by my friend who was with this ministry called Making Disciples Ministry. He gave me this book. It was written in the early 80s. Mm. And I read that and it freed me because I think a lot of Christians hear the word or the words, uh, the will of God, yeah. and they think, well, I have to be in the, in the, the term we used to use back when, when I was in high school, the center of God's will. And that was really uh, freaking me out as, a, you know, am I doing exactly what God wanted? And what <laughs> Gary Friesen did is explain that God can work through many different aspects. He's given me talents, but there's not one certain thing. It, there might be a better, uh, certainly. I mean, you can make foolish decisions, but at the same time, you don't have to be in the center in a, in a perfected state to be able to do what God wants you to do. And God could have been pleased with me remaining as a teacher for all those years. He, right. he could be pleased with me here in Utah, but it was one of those things where I wanted what God's best was yeah. and, and, and using the talents that I had been given to be able to accomplish that. Yeah. And, and like you said, you know, there's, there's a blessing that follows when you're obedient to God. It's not that you can't stay where you're at. You can't stay in your comfort zone. God will still honor that. You still will go to heaven, quote, quote, but it's not, it's not, the best, right? It's not the blessing. It's not, you know, when you see the people in the Bible that moved when God said to move, when he called Abraham out of his comfort zone to go to another land, you know, there was a blessing that followed. God didn't, God promised him, you know, the generations because of his faith, because he actually did right. what God called him to do. And, and so in our life too, you know, when we actually do the steps, when we are obedient in our faith, that's when the blessing comes. And, and too, too many people that I've talked to are caught up in is it salvation or not? What can I get away with and still be saved? And that's just the wrong question to ask because salvation is the starting point. And after that, it becomes chasing after God and trying to be more like him, even though we'll never be perfect. We can still be more like him every single day in year of our life. We should look back five, 10 years from now and say, okay, I've, I've grown in my faith. I'm now closer to God. I now understand his will more because of who I am in Christ. Amen. 
This podcast is part of the Edify Podcast Network. Edify is a faith-inspiring app that brings together thousands of the best Christian podcasts in one place for your listening enjoyment. Cut through the noise and grow your faith by diving into the world's top Christian podcasts today. Download the Edify app for free from the App Store or Google Play or by going to edify.app. That's E-D-I-F-I dot app. So let's move on to Mormon Church and, and kind of uh, your knowledge around that. And, and you know, there's going to be a wide range of listeners that, that may know nothing about Mormonism. And so we'll, we'll just kind of start with whatever details you think are relevant to share about the history of the Mormon Church, things that may, some people may not realize and, and some things that are kind of relevant as we ramp up our talk here. Well, I think probably most of your listeners know the basics that this church is based in Utah. It was founded in 1830 by a man by the name of Joseph Smith. He was the most important person this religion had. Uh, he's the one that uh, translated from supposed uh, golden plates, uh, the Book of Mormon, a book that the missionaries would like to give you and have you read about it or read it and then pray about it to see if it is true. And he also put together what's called the Doctrine and Covenants, most of the sections there. Uh, they do believe in the Bible, uh, the King James Version of the Bible, as far as it's translated correctly. And they have a fourth scripture called the Pearl of Great Price. Uh, this uh, this is really confusing for a lot of people because most people know uh, their Mormon friends to be kind and generous. They make great neighbors, co-workers. And so the assumption a lot of people have is, well, they're Christian just like me. They think almost as if it's a uh, another Christian denomination. But what they may not understand is that while they use the same terminology that we as Christians use, Mormonism denies or distorts every fundamental teaching of the historic Christian church. That mm -hmm. is, uh, I mean, from scripture, I, I just gave you four scriptures they have. They don't hold the Bible as being the sole word of God. They they don't hold that salvation comes by grace alone. They don't hold that um, uh, belonging to any other church but theirs is, is what is necessary to be able to go to uh, what's called the celestial kingdom, where they mm -hmm. hope to be together with their families forever. And that's why all these temples, you have a lot in Arizona. Uh, these temples are places uh, not of worship. They're closed on Sundays, but places of work. They do baptisms for those who are dead. They also do work for themselves. They have to get married in the temple so they can not only be married for this time, but also for eternity. Mm. So a lot of these things, I think that um, a lot of people just don't know that background. And I think it's important if we're going to do what we were talking about earlier, be discerning and be able to tell people about what we believe is not just assume they're Christian, but to ask questions of our Mormon friends. And I think there's lots of ways we can do that, but we, we have to be willing to learn a little bit about where they're coming from and learn what they mean when they say God and Jesus and salvation and yeah. scripture. Because uh, one of the best questions, uh, Greg Kokel is good at this in his book, Tactics, is to ask the question, what do you mean by that? I yeah. think it's a great question because so often we want to do all the talking. Let them talk. And as they're talking, you can discern when you ask, what do you mean when you say salvation by grace? Mm. Well, and they'll tell you what they mean. Well, this, that, the other. And you say, well, what about this? What about that? Do the Columbo tactic that Greg Kokel talks yeah. about. And just to, just to be able to better understand because you never want to tell Latter-day Saint what they believe. They might believe it. They might not believe it. But it's kind of rude to tell them, well, you believe that Jesus is spirit brother of, of Lucifer. Well, 
uh, you know, they might believe that they might not believe it. Now I can yeah. show you where leaders have taught that, but, uh, and that's important to know, but we want to know what that person is saying. So I think that's, uh, something that, uh, I would make sure every Christian, uh, goes into every conversation saying, I don't know what they believe and I'm going to do my best to find out. So I can perhaps be the salt and light that we're called to be according to Jesus. Yeah. And would you say a lot of Mormons, you know, and like you said, they're very, they're very kind that they help out. They, they, uh, you know, will, will help people that aren't even in the church. And, and a lot of people are drawn to that, that may not have a community, may not have a religion and, and may not even know what Mormonism stands for at least early on. Like what is the on the on-ramping strategy for the Mormon church where a lot of people are kind of surface level, know very little. And how long do they kind of know that before they get into some of the deep things that we're going to talk about? Well, if you have missionaries visiting you in this past year, there haven't been missionaries going out, but if they do come and you're at the door and they're there and, and they say, Hey, we'd like to meet, you know, invite you to help do a Bible study or whatever they want to call it. And, 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 uh, you say, well, I'm a Christian. Well, they're going to assume, uh, okay, well, if you're one of those denominations, you're a Baptist, Presbyterian, Methodist, they don't care. And they'll say, well, we're Christians too. In fact, look at our church name, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Mm. And so right away, they're going to try to find a common bond. We have Jesus in, and wouldn't you like to know more about Jesus? You have a housewife who who may have three kids at home and, and you know, my kids aren't religious and they're acting up all the time. They probably need a little religion like yeah. I did when I went, when I was at my house, uh, when I grew <laughs> up. So, so those are the things that uh, um, the family is obviously a huge drawing uh, point for the uh, Mormon church. People uh, see these families, you might see eight kids and they're pretty well behaved, maybe in a restaurant and you go, oh, that's pretty cool. How do they do that? And, and then you learn that families can be together forever. That's a wonderful idea. I want to be mm. with my family. How do I do that? That's how I think many people end up, I mean, more than half of their converts come from a Christian or Catholic background. Mm. I mean, we, you know, that's something to think about. They love having that common bond. I, they would rather knock on a door where people say they're Christian than say they're atheists because mm. they don't have to convince you now that God exists or that Jesus is the savior. Now they can just go from there and move into trying to get you baptized. And the missionaries will try to get you baptized even by the second lesson. They'll try wow. to get you in there and, uh, and do a baptism at the local chapel. Mm -hmm. So, uh, and then you get, and then you get uh, confirmed. You now become a number. You become one of the members of the church. Right. Which once you're a member, they have a lot of info on you. They have a lot of follow-up. It's very hard to sure. leave at that point. Correct. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, uh, and they're going to love you. Um, they're going to have people coming over and helping you. You know, they're, 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 you know what? We as Christians can learn from how they <laughs> yeah. uh, take care of their own. If you, if you lose your job, they've got a bishop storehouse where they'll supply you with food, that, mm. uh, pay your rent, uh, um, all kinds of things. It's actually a pretty nice organization to belong to. And that's why I think they do so well in poorer countries. A lot of people just want the benefits of the material here and now. Yeah. They're not that convinced that this is true. They, they're they just trying to survive. And so right. this church is going to help you, but they may not help you if you're not part of them. And so that for a lot of people, that's, that's a good reason to join this church. I don't think the here and now is as important as the future and yeah. having a relationship with the true God, which I think Mormons, as nice as they are, if they're not worshiping the God of the Bible, then unfortunately, I think that uh, 
they're headed not to heaven, they're headed to hell. And hell is a reality we may not like to talk much about, but I don't want anybody to be forever uh, uh, separated from God. The Bible says that we're, we're all sinners and the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is the eternal life through Christ Jesus, our Lord. We want to give that Amen. and just be a false Jesus. Second Corinthians 11, four says it's possible to have a Jesus that's false. Galatians yeah. 1, 8, 9 says a gospel that's not true is, is a gospel that's damnable. Yeah. And it's, and anybody who preaches it ought to be a curse. So Paul was pretty clear on that. Uh, and I think Jesus was too. Yeah. And you talked about your research in cults at the beginning of the show. And, and I think too, you know, for most people that are, and I, you know, I'm going to speak in general terms, most people that are in a cult or in a, a false religion don't realize they're in it. You know, they, they think it's truth. They're there for a reason. They're there because they were either uh, groomed to be there. They have the, the benefits of being there. And, and granted, there you know, are people that know it's false. You know, let's say the, the leader of a, a whatever cult it is started it under false pretenses. But the people that join them think that the guy is all that in a bag of chips. And so they follow him for a reason. And there's been such a large history about, you know, look at Waco or look at all these other cults. My point is that, you know, we have to understand that they're not openly coming to your door, trying to preach you something they don't believe in. They believe in it hundred percent. And at the same time, there's been uh, a lot of people that have uh, left the church. And I've heard you talk about uh, a mass exodus of, of young people specifically. So what have you seen either people you've talked to that have left the church or kind of the reason for this recently? Well, that's a that's a good question. And uh, there was a book written last year by a lady named Jana Reese. I think it was a couple years ago. Um, the Next Mormons is the name of this book. She She's a Latter-day Saint herself, but she did a number of surveys, very valuable book. I did a review of this book on our website, and I've used a lot of her information. But what's disheartening in the surveys that she gives is that she reports that about half of everyone who leaves Mormonism becomes atheist, agnostic, or nothing at all. Wow. About 40, I think it's 44%. That's close to half. Only 10% become evangelical Christian. Wow. And I think uh, part of the problem is you do have this secular humanistic, uh, um, it's just, it's so popular right now. And uh, a lot of people are so burned by religion, quote unquote religion, that uh, they want nothing to do with God or Jesus. One of the things I like to ask when I talk to somebody who's now a skeptic, and it might they might have left just a few weeks ago. <laughs> uh, didn't you used to believe in God? Didn't you used to believe Jesus was your savior? And it's interesting to hear what their response will be. Oh yeah, but not now. Now I found out the truth. I said, so that you found out Mormonism is not true, therefore God doesn't exist. That doesn't seem to correlate for me very well. I mean, what do you do with all the evidence that there is some kind of a higher power? And I'm yeah. not saying it's the Christian God, but what about Allah? What about uh, uh, Vishnu? Uh, uh, right. There's different ideas of, of who's the highest power, but uh, you've thrown that away or Jesus being your savior. You, you don't believe Jesus existed anymore. You just don't believe he, 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 he died on the cross for sins. Uh, so I like to find that out. A lot of the uh, younger people, the um, well, the millennials and the Gen Zs, they're leaving probably not for spiritual reasons. They're probably more re uh, leaving, according to Jan and Reese, because of things like homosexuality. The church doesn't accept that. Um, 2000, 2015, they, they came up with the policy that said that uh, 
children of homosexual parents could not get baptized until they turned 18. Mm. And then uh, the next year, the the current prophet, Russell M. Nelson, said that was a revelation from God. Then in 2019, they took that away. So now wow. children can get baptized. That you know, And I think they uh, the, the leaders are trying to accommodate uh, the liberal ideas, the ungodly ideas that are out there. And so an issue like that or... Um, uh, they don't allow for homosexual marriage. That that's um, that's a problem for a lot of the uh, younger people, and yeah. how unfair. And and so and so, I think that these are some of the things that uh, uh, have. It's unfortunate that they're taking them out of the church and they're taking them to nothing. And so, I'm not just trying to witness to a Mormon to get him out of the church. I want to be able to have him come into a relationship with Jesus. That's the yeah. most important thing to me. Certainly, yeah. I want them to leave Mormonism, but I don't want to have somebody leave. I mean, you might as well stay in there then and at least have the family structure and, and you don't lose all your uh, your yeah. friends and, and possibly lose your job here in Utah. It's happened a number of times. And stay there then if, if, if it's gonna, you're going to turn into atheism because at least you have some benefits. But um, to leave and become an atheist or agnostic with no hope at all, or just yeah. to not be sure. That's where I want people to be able to do a little research and find out, read the Bible and see what it says. I, I don't think Jesus went away just because uh, Mormonism is false. Yeah. And I can imagine the the shock to your system. If you grew up in the Mormon church, your entire life to then study it and realize that it's false. And you're just like, well, I don't know what to believe. I, I give up on it all. And that's totally right. a reasonable response. I would think for a lot of people that don't know where to turn, you know, it's like I've, I've been tricked and yeah. that's got to, that's got to feel terrible. And so that's where it's so important to come with that truth, come with that love that we should have as Christians in the same you know, like you said, you know, we, there's a lot of great things that they do. And, you know, a lot of Christians are so silent in their faith and I've been guilty too. You know, we don't, we don't go and share it with the boldness that they have. And that's where a great lesson that we should take is that have that boldness, because like Jude says, you know, snatch people out of the fire, like there's yeah. life and death stakes. And it's not just, well, I might get rejected. I don't know the words to say, you know, put yourself out there. God will give you the words, or maybe you mess up and learn. And that's just part of the process, but that doesn't mean we stay quiet, quiet and just kind of do our thing and focus on our own salvation. So. Yeah, absolutely. So what does a scripture mean to a Mormon? I know you talked about the different books and, but you know, for, for Christianity, we have the Bible. That's it. It's the infallible word of God. But, you know, you talk about the book of Mormon, the Pearl of Great Price, the book of Mormon itself says it's greater than any other book. Uh, you know, and, and then, and what I didn't realize until recently either is, you know, you talk about the prophets and how they can change things over time. And I never realized that it was so, so fluid of a, of a, a doctrine of it could just change with the times. And so, uh, and there's also the book of Abraham. It is, just, can you talk about some of that stuff? Yeah. Well, with those other uh, scriptures, uh, really, uh, if you look at the, the Bible and the book of Mormon are really the ones that they quote the most as far as uh, um, what Mormonism is about. Uh, but those two books really don't teach a lot of Mormonism. So you so you have to go to the Doctrine and Covenants. It's the main book to be able to support some of the unique ideas, the, the beliefs that they have. And you mentioned the Book of Abraham. That's a book that's found in the Pearl of Great Price. So Mormons are supposed to believe what are called the standard works. When it's talked about in the standard works, that is what uh, is truth. But how do you interpret that? It's like anything else. I mean, Christians can certainly misinterpret the Bible, and uh, Mormons will interpret the the, uh, the the 
books that they have in certain ways. For instance, the, the concept of salvation for a Mormon. Uh, you know, what does it mean to be saved? Well, in Mormonism, they don't like to admit it. A lot of Mormons don't, at least. But it really is about your own works, your personal works. Mm. And you'll get quoted a verse like 2 Nephi 25, 23 in the Book of Mormon, which says that a person is saved by grace after all you can do. Mm. Well, that after all you can do can mean different things. The leaders have certainly talked about how you have to do this, you have to do that, and you have to do it throughout your life to mm. be able to attain what's called exaltation so that you can go to the celestial kingdom, the best heaven there is, to be able to, to uh, have your family with you forever. Well, that's really different than what Christianity teaches because we're saved by grace, period. Uh, Paul says in Ephesians 2, 8, 9, not by works, yeah. lest any man should boast. And then they will point to James 2 and they'll say, well, a faith without works is dead. And I say, I agree completely with James. In fact, read verse 10 of Ephesians 2, 10. I just got done telling you, showing you that we're saved by grace, not by works. And then he goes on and says, Paul writes, um, we are God's workmanship created by Christ Jesus to do good works, which he prepared in advance for us to do. So good yeah. works are part of the sanctification process. But unfortunately, yeah. in Mormonism, the justification and sanctification get mixed up and put all together, and it creates no gospel at all. So when the leaders speak at general conference, they might sound sometimes, especially in the recent years, they might sound like, wow, that sounds very evangelical. But you have to be able to read between the lines. Uh, there's a couple of uh, leaders there, uh, including Jeffrey R. Holland, one of the apostles, very clever in how he phrases things. He said in a, in a sermon at General Conference, twice a year they have this in Salt Lake City, uh, a gathering of all the leaders and the people come, not the last year and a half because of COVID, but they're supposed to listen to these men. But he said, you get credit for trying. So a lot, I, I had people, I was out there uh, the, 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 um, the Saturday that he said that I was outside trying to do some evangelism. And, and I like to hand out a book called The, Mir the Miracle of Forgiveness by uh, Spencer W. Kimball. It's a great evangelism tactic. And they came back out. I had somebody come up and say, well, we get credit for trying. I said, oh, mm. really? And I didn't know that it had been said. I said, where do you get that? Well, Jeffrey Holland just said it. Mm. He, If you read the sermon carefully, he's not saying all you have to do is try and you're going to get to go to the exalt, uh, exalted state because, oh, and then I asked him, I said, oh, so if, as long as you're trying, but you're not paying your tithe, you should be able to go to the temple. <laughs> well, no, no, no. Uh, you need to pay your tithe. Oh, okay. So as long as you try to go to church every week, or as long as you try not to drink coffee, you know, it, it yeah. fell apart real fast because no, that they still didn't put that away. But Latter-day Saint understands that what Mormonism is saying as far as what a person has to do to get to God is an what my friend Keith Walker calls an impossible gospel. Yeah. Nobody can do everything that this church says. So there's a lot of depression in Mormonism. A lot yeah. of Mormons are uh, you know, on antidepressants and they're trying their best to do everything they're <laughs> supposed to do and they're not able to do it. And that's a different gospel than what Christianity says. Jesus paid it all. Yeah. All to him I owe, but I can't pay back uh, what is impossible to pay back, but Jesus wants to have a relationship with us. And that's what I want to share with Latter-day Saints. And I'll use their scripture. Uh, Spencer W. Kimball uses it well and explains how impossible this thing is. And I like to show them, uh, look at what it says here in the Book of Mormon or in the Doctrine and Covenants, but this is what the Bible says. There's yeah. hope in the Bible that's not found in the uh, other unique scriptures of Mormonism.
Yeah. And it comes down to assurance of your salvation. You know, it's, it's something that you're constantly striving, never knowing if you're good and good enough as a Mormon. And as Christians, we know it's by grace alone, through Christ alone that we're saved. And then, like you said, it's, it's for good works that we can now uh, come out of that place of love to show it to others and, and not just sit on our hands and say, yeah, yeah, I'm going to heaven, but also uh, not to give up good works, but you know, and I've asked this question to a Mormon before is how do I know I'm saved? And that's a great question for anybody listening just to kind of present to them to see what they come up with, because they could have a wide range of, of, of answers to that. And this person I asked said, well, you'd have to come to church. You'd have to, we'd, we'd introduce you to the elders and they would go through these things. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. The Bible tells me I can be saved right now, believing in Christ, accepting his free gift of salvation, the grace that imputed upon me by Jesus. And, and, and that's kind of like a mind blow for them because they don't, they don't, it, it, it's not that easy. But it, it, it should be. It wasn't easy for Jesus, but at the same time, at the, you know, it is easy for us now to accept that free gift of salvation. And, and granted, there's uh, a lot of different pathways that we go as far as, you know, assurance of salvation and, and whether it's, uh, you know, you can pray the sinner's prayer and be saved 30 years later after not living for Christ. But at the same time, if you're, if, if you're in Christ, no one can pluck you away from, from where you are. Yeah, I think assurance of salvation is important. And what about, um, you know, a little bit deeper like the DNA studies and archaeology that have hurt the credibility of the the history of the Book of Mormon. You know, I've, I brought this up to to people before Mormons and and said, you know, that the person, the people, the places, and the particulars of the Book of Mormon are never are not validated by archaeology and this kind of stuff. And and one person told me, well, I just I take it on faith. I don't think about that very much. But the the funny part is, her father, who has been in the church actually is is not going anymore because of his conflict in his in his spirit about those exact things and yet and she was not in a position to kind of you know think about it along that light other than just taking it by faith so is that what you've kind of heard a lot of they just kind of take it on faith without having the you know because even in the bible we have archaeology proof that the, the people and the places are, are validated well, and that's why I like to go to the bible lands to be able to show people exactly what I mean this isn't might be or could be uh, um, uh, Caesarea. It really is. And we yeah. have archaeology to support that. Uh, so, so I think that's an important thing uh, that we have something to work off of. And you can't prove the Bible to be true. You can't prove the resurrection, for instance, using right. archaeology. But we can show that these are real people in real places. Mormonism doesn't have that. Two good DVDs, if you get a chance, somebody wants to do a little more research uh, by my friend Joel Kramer. He's, he's an archaeologist, lives in Jordan now, spent a number of years in, in Israel. Um, uh, DNA versus the Book of Mormon, and that's an excellent book, as well as um, a book, or a, not a book, uh, it's a DVD. So it's, a, it's about a 45-minute or hour-long DVD. Excellent, uh, as well as uh, Joseph Smith versus the Book of Mormon. And he mm. interviews a Mormon there in, in Jerusalem and uh, shows all that the Bible has. Here's what Mormonism has. And the Book of Mormon, it's been shown very clearly that it's not a historical book. In fact, there are Latter-day Saints who would say, I believe it spiritually, like you're getting people saying to you, well, I just have to have enough faith. Well, I think we have to have faith. The Bible talks about having faith, but sometimes faith is not going to be um, enough to counteract the facts that are there. And, uh, and so the idea that Book of Mormon peoples that are assumed to be ancient Israelites in previous days, now they're saying, well, no, the DNA doesn't prove that. And so, but I, I still believe that there were, there were millions of people who lived here on the continents, Na- Lamanites and Nephites, the two people groups that came here in the seventh century BC. 
you know, okay, well, you can believe that, but just because you believe it, if the, if the science does not support that, you're going to have to have a lot of faith that I'm not able to have that kind of faith. That's more yeah. faith. It's a, a book written by Norm Geisler and Frank Turek. I don't have enough faith to be an atheist. Yeah. I don't have enough faith to be a, a Latter-day Saint. As yeah. much as I love my Latter-day Saint friends, I, I'm not as good as you are as having that much faith. Right. And as Christians, we don't have blind faith. We have faith in something. And the faith is that the Bible is what it says it is. And that, with, you know, it also is validated. And no matter how much you know, there's always a gap that you have to jump from faith to, you know, fully believing in, in what it what it says. And then, you know, that, that gap is so big for for Mormonism. And, and, you know, they're, they're, without having that validation of archaeology and the things we're talking about in history, it is pretty much blind faith that, that Joseph Smith said what he said, and then it's true. And that's why it's just, you know, cut out all that nonsense and just get to the word of God, that the Bible is sufficient. <laughs> that's what we should go back to is that the Bible is all you need. You know, you don't need to add these extra books. You don't need to add anything else to it. Um, and so I kind of want to wrap up a little bit here, just talk about you know, the Mormon church has had a rough history with racism, polygamy, uh, some tough cultural issues like that. Can you give some perspective on on these issues and how the church has changed over time and, and kind of what we need to know today? Well, 19th century uh, leaders taught in polygamy uh, that you had to be married to multiple women to be able to have multiple wives in heaven and be able to have larger families. Uh, 1890, they went ahead and took that away because of the pressure of the United States government. And you can read books on this fascinating topic. And today we do have polygamists who do follow Joseph Smith and some of the early uh, LDS leaders, but they're not connected to the Mormon church. Mormonism does not teach polygamy in this life, but they it still teaches the idea that uh, it's possible to have multiple wives in the next life. In fact, the top two leaders, uh, Dallin H. Oaks is the first counselor and Russell M. Nelson is the 17th president, have been married to two women each in the temple for eternity. So their first wives died. They married another woman who had not been married to a man in the temple. And they they so they plan on seeing both of those wives in the next life. So a lot of people think polygamy is dead. It's not. It will be reinstituted in the next life. As far as racism, uh, all the way until 1970s, uh, LDS leaders have a number of racist ideas that blacks uh, were cursed with the uh, the, the, the uh, with Cain's uh, sin uh, with their black skin. And uh, 1978, um, Spencer W. Kimball uh, put together a declaration. In fact, Declaration 1 is regarding polygamy in 1890. Declaration 2, found in the uh, Pearly Great Price, that is uh, uh, concerning uh, race, uh, the race issue. And uh, the LDS churches, there's been a lot of people who have struggled with that, didn't like it when they had this racist idea before 1978. Now they're very popular in Africa and other countries. Mm. But uh, the, again, uh, uh, Kimball's uh, came out with uh, this statement saying that no longer are they uh, not allowed to hold the priesthood and you needed the priesthood to be able to go to the temple to be able to do the work so you could go to uh celestial kingdom and have a family of your own before mm -hmm. 1978 blacks could not do that 
the best they could hope for was to be a servant in the celestial kingdom because wow. within the celestial kingdom, there's three kingdoms, but within the top level celestial, there are three levels as well. The bottom level is for servants. And so that's what they were taught that they would have uh, until 1978. So yeah, it's, th those are hard issues. The church has had to try to deal with that. They've come out with a, uh, some what are called gospel topics essays written between 2013 and 2015. Those gospel topic essays try to uh, explain these things, but it's hard when you, when you have that position. I wouldn't want to be in their position trying to explain how God could have been a racist before 1978. Oof. Yeah, that's tough. And that's, that's another thing of it constantly changing. You wonder, is what I believe today as a Mormon going to be the same 10 years from now? Like, right. what if the prophet says something different five years from now, I've been doing the wrong thing. Like it just, there's no confidence in the religion that you profess. And, and that's something as Christians, like we still believe the Bible. It's the same Bible. It was 2000 years ago. And, and further, right. if you look at the old Testament and, and we have the confidence that the Bible is what it says it is. There's been so many manuscripts validation of the Bible. There's been the consistency among all 66 books among thousands of years. And, and so that's where we really have to just focus our eyes on. And as Christians, you know, uh, just as, as we wrap up, you know, if someone comes in contact with, with a Mormon, what is the best like couple sentences to kind of start engaging? I know we talked a little bit about this, but just kind of like, how, what is a great starting point uh, that you would recommend? And that's a really uh, good question. Um, I, I, sometimes people ask me, well, what's the one question I can ask or what's the one thing I can do and win yeah. Latter-day Saints? I say, I tell you what, you come up with that, you let me know because <laughs> I'm going to tell you, it's frustrating even for somebody who knows what's going on. Yeah. Uh, we wrote a book, Sean and I edited the book, uh, 28 different people were involved. Uh, Sean and I wrote chapters wow. as well as uh, Sandra Tanner and a number of really neat people. Jay Warner Wallace wrote a chapter, Cold Case Christianity. Uh, it's called Sharing the Good News with Mormons, published by Harvest House. I'm not trying to sell the book here, but no, that's exactly why we wrote the book, because there's not one magic bullet. There's not one way. Yeah. Uh, it depends on you. I have friends who do uh, chat rooms. I have uh, friends who go out and do street witnessing. I have, I mean, I, I have all kinds of different people doing different yeah. tactics and their tactics might not be my tactics. You need sure. to find out what best works for you. So and, and in addition, I'm writing a book right now uh, that will be published next year by Harvest House. It's called Introducing Christianity to Mormons. I am mm. so concerned, Tim, about all the people I meet who have left all faith, I just told you, close to half mm. have nothing, and only 10% become evangelical Christians. That's bothersome to me. I think there's a way, and that's what I'm writing right now uh, in this book, to introduce Christianity in a way that they can understand. There are lots of books about Christianity and understanding it. Introducing Christianity is not a new topic, but there, I have not found a book that specifically talks about how you can do this with Mormons. And, and so to be able to know how to go after uh, an issue like uh, Jesus, you know, that's a right. big topic, but, but um, so, so I use the Bible, I use other people's writings and I've put, I'm putting this together. It'll be out next fall in 2022. But um, uh, I, I think knowing your Christianity is the most important thing uh, to be able to do witnessing. And yeah. and the second most important thing is to know what that other person is thinking. Yeah. Know what they, you know, like a lawyer who already knows when I say this, they're thinking that. 
So when mm. I say, well, I believe you have to be saved by grace through faith and not by works, I yeah. know exactly where they're going to go next. They're going to go to James chapter two. So mm. I like to bring it out and I like to head them off at the pass. I say, but you know, James two talks about, and they'll go, oh, I was just thinking that. <laughs> well, I, I knew you were thinking that. And so let's talk about that. Yeah. Or we get into the Trinity. Uh, there's a lot of different issues. You got to know what you believe and be able to support that. But you also need to know what the other person believes to be able to have a fruitful conversation. Yeah. And just like anybody we witness with, you know, it's about relationship, you know, no one's going to get saved off of two minutes of asking them one right. specific question and God bless the street preachers that proclaim it to everybody walking by. And that works if God's called you to do it. But at the same time, most of us need to just say, what is God calling me to do? Like you said, what is the avenue, the people, the influence that I have, my core, my core influence, whether it's at work or that my friends, my friend network or on social media, where is God planting you to, to spread those seeds of the gospel? And in a lot of the times it will come through relationship over time. You might be friend of Mormon and it might take years of just, you know, talking to them, loving them about sharing why you believe what you believe, inviting them to church, all these things that might just take years to let the Holy Spirit do the work and plant those seeds. And then God in his due time will bring it to pass. And that's a great point. And I would say that we are in sales. God is in production. Mm. If we can understand that, because I think, again, like I was talking about discerning God's will, we put too much pressure on ourselves. You might be the one person who then hands it off to the next person. And people, do, yeah. we are seeing people come to the Lord here in Utah. We mm -hmm. are seeing amazing things happening, Awesome! but we need to be patient and don't think the first time you talk to somebody or you're <laughs> talking to a, a neighbor or a, 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 a person at work and think that, well, I, they didn't accept Jesus there. I, I guess I failed. No, if yeah. you got them one step closer to the cross, then you have done your evangelistic job. Awesome. Well, Eric, thank you so much for coming on. And all these topics we've talked about is pretty much a book somewhere or a video somewhere. And there's so many good resources. So let everyone know where they can connect with you and, and uh, find out more about the, these topics. Well, one thing I would invite people to do is listen to the radio show podcast that we have available at MRM. That's Mormonism Research Ministry, our initials, mrm.org slash podcast. And we have 11 years worth of podcasts. We air wow. 15 minute shows five days a week, uh, Bill and I together. And we have a lot of, uh, we have an index actually. You can go and find whatever topic you're looking for. And our website, mrm.org is uh, a place where we have uh, everything from articles to videos, a lot of different things if you're talking about Mormonism uh, to help you. And then people can email me, uh, eric at mrm.org. I'm happy to respond if they have questions or anything I can do to help. That's what we're here for. We're a parachurch uh, 501c3 organization uh, is who is here to uh, help the Christian church be able to do what pastors don't have time to do. And yeah. so that's why we specialize in this and being here in Utah, certainly at the center place and you at, in Arizona, I mean, you guys have a lot of Latter-day Saints as well, but mm -hmm. even if you live in the, on the East coast, you probably know Latter-day Saints, even though you may not even know it. So yeah. I, I think keep your ears open and it's exciting to be able to talk to people who are nice people who need the invitation of Jesus Christ into their lives, a real yeah. relationship that is based on what the Bible teaches, not based on what a man-made religion teaches. Right. Awesome. Well, once again, Eric, thank you for coming on. God bless you, your family, and your ministry. Thanks for having me on, Tim. It's been a pleasure.
Well, that is going to do it for today and for season one. And I do want to give all glory and honor to God for this podcast, for giving me the strength to do it, for giving me the wisdom for what to say, and also for giving me some amazing guests that have agreed to come on. And I pray that it gets you closer to God. And I pray that this podcast has blessed you and will continue to bless you into season two. And if you would like to be a blessing to me, please consider the Patreon option. Go to patreon.com slash discerningdad for help supporting me and covering monthly costs associated with this ministry. I would greatly appreciate it. Make sure you stay tuned to announcements coming up about season two, who my launch guests will be, as well as the topic of season two. Make sure you hit subscribe. And until next time, go with God, grow in discernment, and keep your eyes on Jesus. Thank you for listening to the Everyday Discernment Podcast. For more information on Discerning Dad, go to discerning-dad.com. Be sure to follow on all the social media platforms. Just search for Discerning Dad. Please share this podcast with a friend and leave an honest review on whichever platform you listen. Feel free to send any comments, suggestions, questions, or prayer requests at discerningdad at outlook.com. Until next time. Keep fighting the good fight.